This is Many Lamps in the Room, a podcast by and for New City Church in Vienna, Virginia. This week we are continuing our discussion of officers in the church, and we're starting a discussion on eldership, what it means to be an elder, what an elder is, and how that position works at our church. Before we get to that, however, part of our Sunday liturgy includes a question from the New City Catechism, and we'd like to begin each episode with some thoughts about how we can follow up on that question throughout the week in family conversations. Normally we do questions from the New City Catechism as part of our liturgy, but during the Advent season, we're mixing things up a little bit and appropriate for December we are taking different catechism questions from the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Shorter Catechism as part of our celebration of Advent. And so this week, our question comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, question number 29. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Answer, because he saves us from our sins and because salvation should not be sought and cannot be found in anyone else. I think it's such an appropriate question to begin our Advent season Mm. as we think about Christ's coming and what that means to us and why is it that we call him Savior. And again, the question addresses it very simply Mm. because he saves us, which makes sense. He saves us from our sins. And then it says, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. And I think this particularly is what I think is a struggle for most people. I think most Christians will think, yes, Jesus is my savior. I believe that he takes my sins and through his righteousness, I am deemed a child of God. I think, again, the thought and the words in your mouth says that, but Mm. then many times, your actions and the way that you actually live say something else. Mm. So again, this comes in all different ways because it's two different things. It says it's not to be sought nor found. And we constantly seek for and try to find things that, again, we think actually save us. Now, I don't think it's on the existential level of eternal salvation. Mm. But I think while we are on earth, we believe these things are so good that they will fix all our problems. Mm -hmm. Again, it could be be a relationship. It could be money. It could be power. It could be vocation, whatever it might be. We're always looking for a way out. Right. Or another thing is this, we're just looking for an idol. Mm -hmm. We're looking for something else. So, you know, for those that are thinking, you know, in your marriage, if only we had little bit more time between you know husband and wife and we could have a better marriage would be a better family or you know if only my wife were to do this or only if my husband were to do this and yet we're placing that burden on them to make things right Mm. or if it's if only my child were to do this Mm. right or if only i were to be able to make more money Mm. or if only i were to have this job Mm. again all these little things we look forward to actually more than christ Hmm. And then we try to find our our saviors on earth or in people rather than in Christ. So during this season, as we reflect on this, I think it's so good for parents to be able to think about that and, and think, how 
do their words and their actions reflect the reality that Christ is Savior? Mm. And then how does that, how do you see that affecting your children? Mm. Because if, you know, children are sponges, they take everything in, Mm. whether they're able to articulate it or not, they're watching Mm. and they're listening Mm. constantly and they're able to see what mom and dad find to be important. And if they constantly see parents seeking other things to Mm. bring satisfaction or to bring joy, to bring happiness or, you know, again, salvation, then that is what they will begin to rely on too. I think those things then will become their idols as well. You know, it also often goes against the nature of parenting because I think as parents, we want to show ourselves as being authoritative, Mm -hmm. as being good providers, as being good resources for our kids, Mm. as being sufficient. Yeah. You know, and that self-sufficiency goes against needing a savior. Yeah. And yeah, and so I think that sometimes it's hard to actually show that we need saviors Mm. and that we need to depend upon Jesus and that we need to put ourselves under his leadership rather than, you know, being the biggest person for our kids. Sometimes it takes being a smaller person to put God first. Mm. No, I, I, I like that a lot. And again, it's kind of the understanding of, you know, why is he called savior because he saves Mm. and then later on we'll talk about you know how is it that he is our redeemer and what's the benefits of his him coming and this idea that you know he is our savior because because he saves and we needed a savior because we could not do it ourselves and yet it's that struggle that we have that yeah we will often look for other things as saviors but we also will think we are our own saviors and then like you said especially when it comes to children right you are your child's savior. Mm. You have their fate in your hands. Mm. And often that puts such a huge burden on parents yeah. that they feel like if they make one little slip up, it'll ruin their children's lives. Yeah. And it's that constant fear and anxiety that's there. But understanding that you know, Christ is our savior and he is our children's savior. And therefore, you know, the, really the burden falls on Christ. Yeah. But the great thing is, He is able to do it Mm. versus us. We are unable to do it. Mm. And I take to heart that that passage where it says that you shouldn't aspire to be an elder because again, it's not, it's, it shouldn't be the kind of office that you have an ambition for. Right. But I do think it is the kind of office that you shouldn't turn down lightly either. It is an office that is necessary for a healthy church. And we need good elders. Mark is here to maybe grill me a little bit and and ask me some softball questions, I hope, so that maybe we can clarify for people who aren't used to the Presbyterian system of governance Mm. as to how this works in our denomination, in the PCA, and what it means to be an elder, I guess. I think that is the first question that I think, the very basic one, is what is an elder? Is it just an old person? Basically. Yes. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) actually, there's, you know, the 
In the New Testament, the Greek word for elder is presbyter, which is where we get Presbyterian from. And it literally means old old man or elderly person. But it, in context, it, it referred to a group of leaders within local bodies that are tasked with overseeing those churches and providing leadership to those churches. And so that's that's what an elder is. It, it, it derives directly from systems of governance that are implied and suggested and recommended in the New Testament and were established in the very earliest Christian churches. And as Christianity developed and grew and evolved over the centuries, different denominations took that system of governance and in different configurations. And for the PCA, the Presbyterian Church of America, they developed something of a representative form of governance where, again, and a body of elders, a body of church leaders represents the congregation and makes decisions on behalf of the congregation, which is a different model than other denominations. Mm -hmm. You might have heard of certain denominations being congregational, Mm -hmm. so that major church decisions are all voted on by the entire congregation. Like a democracy. Whereas the PCA has a representative model where a committee of elders, a session, it's what they're called, ends up making decisions on behalf of the rest of the church. Now, you kind of talked a little bit about what elders do, Mm. but could you dive into that a little bit more, maybe parse out some of the, you know, the day-to-day, or even because we talked to to Dave about the office of deacon, you know, maybe talk about what are some of the similarities between the two two offices? Mm. And then what are some of the distinctions between them as well? Yeah. So deacons in general work to provide concrete servant leadership to instantiate and further the mission of the church. They get things going. They make things happen. They make sure that what's needed to be done gets done. Whereas... The elders, their role is more that of oversight. Mm. The elders are kind of in charge of the big picture of the church, mm-hmm. and that can be in a number of different areas. They have to keep an eye on the doctrinal rectitude of the church, making sure that the church is making decisions that are theologically sound mm. and are in line with our creeds. They are also looking more specifically at the spiritual health of the church, how individual members are doing, and how groups of members and the whole body is getting along. Mm. And it also has a missional focus, that they're sort of setting a strategic vision of this church and looking to make sure that the church is, is going to be sustainable, is fulfilling biblical mandates of evangelism and missions, that it is keeping an eye on practical concerns like growth and attendance Mm. and things of that nature. So again, this is just to sort of say the the elders are are tasked with sort of keeping an eye on the big picture of the church and making sure that we, we are making 
choices and decisions and in go and going in directions that that are godly and healthy and practical now who can be an elder or i guess another way to put it is what are the qualifications someone would have to have in order to okay. be an elder yeah so titus and first timothy 3 are kind of the main places in the Bible that we can go to to look for qualifications of church officers, including elders. And we are a complementarian church, which means that we believe that the Bible clearly states, and there isn't much reason to believe otherwise, that men are specifically tasked with, a, with having a role in church leadership. According to scripture, it seems pretty clear that you have to be male and you have to have good character and that you have to have good doctrine. Hmm. Those seem to be the real major areas of qualifications for elders. Those passages that I mentioned don't seem to talk a lot about uh, specific skill sets. There is some mention about being able and willing to teach. So I think that sort of falls under having doctrinal knowledge and theological foundations. But most of what's talked about in those passages is the character of candidates, mm -hmm. whether they are good leaders within their home, mm -hmm. whether they show some measure of self-control mm -hmm. in their lifestyle, whether they are hospitable, to others, whether they show caring and compassion and kindness, mm -hmm. whether they seem to have a heart for people who may be at some disadvantage. So I think those are really the things that we want to focus on mm -hmm. in terms of who would be good elders, people who seem to care about the church, seem to care about people in the church, and most importantly, of course, is love God mm -hmm. and care about what God wants for the church that seems like a lot i you know i <laughs> you know having said that it's 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 a lot of it is aspirational of course yeah. <laughs> now I, i'm pretty sure it also talks about not many people should actually aspire no yeah right to be an elder i think that's an interesting i uh, thought because some of the things that you've been mentioning again as an elder you, you oversee a church body and in, in many ways if you think about like a company you know there are you know like the chief executive a chief financial officer or or these people that are overseeing the company and it's interesting because you know they make a ton of money and they are in the spotlight when something happens but if you were to actually ask many people, like, would you aspire to be in that position, work long hours, and do all these things? Yeah, it's one of those things where I don't know if people would want all that responsibility or the weight of what that office actually carries. So yeah. any thoughts about the, the weight of the office? Yeah, it really should be an office that is taken with a good deal of burden and gravity, hmm. I think. It shouldn't be an office that's desirable because of power hmm. or status. You shouldn't want to become an elder because you get to do things that nobody else can do, that you get to be in the room where it happens, right. uh, as Hamilton might say, right? That's not what being an elder should be about. And that's not what should be attractive or about that office. It is, 
I mean, I feel pretentious for putting it this way, but I feel like it's a calling mm. of a sort that it is something that you may not necessarily wish for yourself, but you feel like God may have put you, positioned you uniquely to take up this kind of service. Mm. I certainly feel that way about being an elder. I'm not, I don't feel like I'm enjoying. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm miserable. Right. But it's not like, and the off, you know what? Being an, being an elder is a joy hmm. in some ways, but it's not it's not the sort of thing where I feel like I'm indulging in anything by being right. in this office. I feel like instead it's, it's my way of serving the church. Right. And I take to heart that that passage where it says that you shouldn't aspire to be an elder because again it's not it's it shouldn't be the kind of office that you have an ambition for right but i do think it is the kind of office that you shouldn't turn down lightly either mm -hmm. it is an office that is necessary for a healthy church right and we need good elders mm -hmm. and so i don't feel like you should turn to that passage as an easy way of turning down the offer. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Especially if you do feel like maybe there's some sort of calling there. Maybe that this is something that that the church could really use you and your experience and your heart for. So for this week our announcement for children's ministry is that on the thirty first December 31st, or the last day of the year, we will be meeting at the Gaylord National at 2 o'clock for ice skating. That's so, in the National Harbor, Maryland? Uh, yeah, National Harbor. The Gaylord National is a hotel, but they also have many other events that are going on at the same time. If you check the newsletter or my, the personal emails that are sent out to all the families and children's ministry, you'll see a sign-up, and that's just to let us know to expect you, but if you're going to be purchasing tickets, you just have to go directly to the website to purchase those tickets. And even if you don't want to ice skate or you don't know how to ice skate, like I said, there are a ton of different activities that you could do. If you stick around long enough, they'll do a Christmas tree lighting kind of, not a ceremony, but they do lights, they do music. They also have snow tubing. They have ice bumper cars. Wow. Um, they have, I think, gingerbread building. Wow. Um, they have a the uh, a christmas story ice sculpture exhibit so if you really love the movie a christmas story oh the movie the movie <laughs> not not the gospel no although not on the 31st but leading up to the 31st they do have a show there as well so just check out the website the national harbor website or the gaylord national website to check out the different events but also to sign up for or to purchase tickets for the ice skating event for and what's the date on, on that again? That is December 31st. Oh, that's after at, Christmas. Mm -hmm, at 2 p.m. Okay. With that being said, how long do elders actually serve for? Because if you think about most positions, right, they usually have some kind of term limit in politics or I guess in, in companies, there really isn't a term. But yeah, how long does an elder serve for? So in our denomination, that's kind of, that decision about how long an elder serves for is really left up to individual churches. Mm. And different PCA churches kind of handle it different ways. Some churches do have term limits 
for eldership. So let's say you serve as being an elder for five years and then your term's up. Hopefully somebody else can sort of can come in. For others, it's a lifetime appointment. As to our particular church, we don't really have an answer for that yet. <laughs> we haven't figured that out. Mm-hmm. That's something that we're that we still have to discuss as a session. Actually, that's mm-hmm. one of the decisions that the session has to make as to you know how that particular detail of polity will need to be worked out. Mm-hmm. I personally feel like there are both advantages and disadvantages to both term limits Mm -hmm. and lifetime appointments of elders. I do think that elders that serve for the length of their membership at at the church Mm -hmm. bring a sense of acquired wisdom, Mm -hmm. institutional knowledge, Mm -hmm. continuity that can be really valuable. At the same time, I also feel like there needs to be shared responsibility and just for the sake of sustainability. Mm-hmm. I think burnout can be a re- very real thing. Right. And I think that having fresh perspectives is good and mm-hmm. sharing the burden is good. And so, I don't know, I feel like maybe there can be some sort of compromise between the two that we can work out. Mm-hmm. But that's something we have yet to work out, yeah. to be honest. Now, you mentioned earlier, you're ta- you talked about elders and you talked about sessions. What is a session? Okay. So the session is the governing body of the church. It's basically all the elders. And there's two kinds of elders. There's ruling elders, which are generally lay people, who have basically voting power to make decisions on behalf of the church. Mm-hmm. And there are teaching elders who also have a vote as part of the session. But they also have recognized, ordained gifts to teach. So these are usually pastors Mm. or associate pastors. And so teaching elders, they are part of the session. So we have four members of the session right now. Pastor Paul is our teaching elder. Rob, Robbie, and I are ruling elders. And Pastor David is an assistant pastor. So he's also a teaching elder, but he doesn't have, as an assistant pastor, instead of an associate pastor, he doesn't have a vote. Hmm. So he attends all of our session meetings and we regularly draw from his wisdom and experience. But when it comes to a vote, usually Paul himself defers to the three ruling elders. Hmm. So we have an odd number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we hash it out and we sort of figure out what we want to decide on on certain issues. And Pastor Paul doesn't have to. He can always weigh in. And Pastor David can also weigh in. Mm-hmm. But he usually defers to what we decide. Now, in our church, it seems like, yeah, there are four elders that are in this session. Is there a certain number of elders you would need in order to form a session? You need at least two. Right? You can't just have a single. You, single. Should, you should have a teaching elder. <laughs> I mean, you should have a pastor, and you should have at least an, uh, someone else. Mm. And that's, and hopefully more than that, right? Because you want what we call a plurality. Mm-hmm. We want not. We don't want all the power and decision making ability to be centered on one person. Why not? That sounds like a good <clears throat> idea. Well, that can be efficient sometimes. <laughs> 
that can be really efficient sometimes. And I think a lot of churches often blossom under powerful, strong, charismatic, maybe even wise, Mm -hmm. a pastor, leader. But I think there's a lot of dangers that can accompany that. I've been in congregational churches for much of my life growing up, and I found that even many, many congregational churches, though congregational technically, often end up being very pastor centric Mm -hmm. and it's tough to run a large democracy Mm, (laughs) and i feel like oftentimes when you have a central figure who has such authority that there's the danger of mm, ambition Mm. abuse of power lack of transparency maybe Mm -hmm. right i think it's often better when you have a variety of voices Mm -hmm. And perspectives that you know test each other challenge each other sharpen one another mm-hmm. I think the strengths of our particular churches mm-hmm. session that Rob Robbie and I are very very different people mm-hmm. that we have different backgrounds different ways of seeing things mm-hmm. different strengths and emphases we look out for different things different things move us and at the same time, we have extraordinary respect for one another. I think I can speak confidently for the other members of the session that we really admire one another, mm-hmm. each other as, as persons, as believers. And we're, I am constantly inspired by the members of our session and humbled by them. And so... When we do have disagreements, which we do actually quite often, mm-hmm. and we do have spirited debates, we know that it's in the it's for a greater purpose, mm-hmm. and we know that we can come together and maybe not reach full consensus, mm-hmm. but but enough unity in spirit with full respect for one another. And I and one of the great things about having a session like that is that if you're if you feel like you're not simpatico not vibing well with one of the members of the session. You don't have to feel like, you know, the whole church is against you, mm-hmm. right? You can you can realize that it's a actually a diverse little body there mm-hmm. that there's different entry points into connecting with us, mm-hmm. into ensuring that you are making your concerns and questions heard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think hopefully one of us will, you will find that at least one of us will will be someone that you can relate to and, and feel heard by. And it seems like the session benefits, you know, the congregation and, you know, provides kind of protection that they will be served well. But at the same time, it seems like even within the group of elders or leaders, it also provides accountability amongst mm-hmm you guys yeah so it seems to be a a great benefit to absolutely yeah absolutely and yeah i often think about the other members of the session when i think about the church in general Mm -hmm. and even in my own personal life i often do sort of ask myself i wonder how robbie would handle this or Mm -hmm. i wonder how rob would deal with something like this Mm -hmm. because yeah it's it's nice that we the you know a 
a gang of three and four, right, is a nice tight knit band. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a real nice core unit. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I do think that our church is growing to a a certain the kind of size where we need maybe more instruments. We mm. need more, more hands on deck to help yeah. out. You know what? I have a podcast recommendation. Occasionally, I, people know that I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> you know what? I might even, I, I'm considering cutting back and not making them such a big part of my life just because, I'm, uh, you know, it does take some time to like download them and sort through them and figure out which ones I'm listening to. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, can be, it can be a burden in itself, I think. <laughs> but one that I'm, I've been listening to a lot recently and benefiting a lot from is an NPR podcast called Hidden Brain. And it is a podcast that's part psychology, pop psychology, but part neurological research. Um, And it doesn't feel like a self-improvement podcast, even though it does try to be practical Mm -hmm. in its bent because it really focuses each episode on some aspect of cognitive quirks that we have Mm. that explain why we tend to make decisions a certain way or we tend to have certain kinds of flaws in perception say Mm -hmm. you know and those have been really insightful and helpful over the years and it's it's kind of going through a good run right now. And so, yeah, I would say check out Hidden Brain. It's an NPR podcast. Sounds good. We pray our discussion was edifying to you, and we'd love to hear any feedback. Mark's email is mark at newcityva.org. Stephen Price provided the music, and you can find more of it at almadogma.bandcamp.com. That's A-L-M-A-D-O-G-M-A dot We're recording on equipment generously donated by Sonny Kim, and you can find out more about our church at newcityva.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, watch those windows. My mom asked, like, what are we eating for dinner? And I was like, turkey again? <laughs> I was like, what do you want to eat? And she was like, honey, judging that. Hey. And so <laughs> on the way here, I, I, it just it dawned on me that, like, oh, we actually have all the ingredients to make judging when I get home. So I told everybody, oh, like, take out the stuff. And then she was like, actually, your parents want fried chicken. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so they're like, just let us know when you're coming so we know when to order. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's. Can I invite myself over to your place tonight?